So at this moment, we are a country divided by politics. But just 12 months ago, we were divided by the scandal of the blue and black dress, commonly known as Dressgate. You may have seen it, the shiny dress with horizontal stripes and pleats. The whole thing started when Cecilia Bleasdell took a photo of the dress she was planning to wear to her daughter's wedding. When she shared the photo with friends and family, there was significant disagreement over the color of the dress. Some saw the dress as white and gold, others as blue and black. Before long, the photo made its way to Facebook, Tumblr, and other social media sites where it became an internet sensation. People were divided into camps with everyone weighing in. 57% of people saw the dress as blue and black, a group that included the likes of Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift. For 30% of people, the dress appeared to be white and gold. In case you're interested, Katy Perry and Julianne Moore fell into this group. 10% of people surveyed saw the dress as blue and brown while another 10% could switch back and forth between all the different color combinations. Now, the dress was actually blue and black, but the answer wasn't the point. The fascination was with the way different minds can perceive the same reality, the same photo, in different ways. Of course, such perceptions, such differences in perception aren't limited to the color of clothing, They occur in many other areas as well, including the way we interpret scripture. Take today's gospel reading, the parable of the prodigal son. And listen closely. I promise I won't repeat the whole thing. The younger of two sons demands his inheritance immediately and leaves home in search of pleasure in a faraway country where he squanders his money. When famine strikes... The son is so desperate for food that he goes to work for a citizen of that country feeding his pigs. His hunger becomes so acute that the son begins to wish he could eat as well as the pigs do, but no one gives him anything. And then he comes to himself. He returns home with a plan to say to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. We know how the story goes. The father sees him from a distance, throws away all sense of pride, and runs out to meet him. Before the son can finish reciting the speech he's practiced over and over again in his mind, the father interrupts. He commands that the best robe be brought for the son, a ring put on his finger, sandals placed on his feet, the fatted calf killed, And a party started. Now we all know the younger son was lost and now is found. The parable tells us that outright. But how we interpret that lostness depends largely upon our own context, our own culture. Mark Allen Powell is a Lutheran professor of New Testament And he's written a wonderful book about how biblical narratives can have different meanings for different people. What happens is that when there are gaps in a narrative or opportunities to interpret a narrative in more than one way, we usually end up interpreting the story in ways consistent with our own social location, 
with where we find ourselves in time and place. For example, Powell read the parable of the prodigal son to three groups of seminarians in three different countries, and then he asked them to recall the story. When American seminarians heard today's gospel reading, every single one of them, 100%, recalled that the younger son had squandered his money. They assumed that this was the cause of his dire circumstances. When Powell told the story to a group of students in St. Petersburg, Russia, only 34% mentioned that the younger son squandered his money. Instead, an overwhelming number of Russian students, 84% of them, spoke of the famine, something that only 6% of Americans had mentioned. We hear in the passage from Luke, when this younger son had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. It's unclear whether the younger son is in dire straits because he spent his money unwisely or because of the famine that follows. So is this a story of repentance, or is it a tale of rescue? These different perspectives make sense, really. Living in a capitalist culture, perhaps we Americans see money as precious and spending an entire inheritance as particularly irresponsible. On the other hand, the Russian seminaries, seminarians carried in their minds a powerful social memory. In 1941, German troops surrounded the city of St. Petersburg and more than 670,000 people starved to death. So, of course, it's understandable that the famine would stand out to the Russian seminarians. To make matters even more interesting, when Powell spent time in Africa, he asked a group of 50 seminarians in Tanzania why the younger son ended up starving in a pig pen. Eighty percent responded, that it was because no one gave him anything to eat, which is, in fact, in the story as a contributing factor as well. Powell asked the African seminarians, why should anybody give him anything to eat? After all, isn't it his own fault that he squandered his money? The boy was in a far country, the African students said. Immigrants often lose their money. They don't know how things work. They might spend all their money when they shouldn't because they don't know about the famines that are to come. But the Bible commands us to care for the stranger and alien in our midst. It's a lack of hospitality not to do so. For them, this parable was less about the sins of an individual and more about the sins of a society. Now, I took the time to tell you all of this because it's amazing how looking at the parable from a different perspective can change the way we see the characters in it. Let's be honest. Many of us identify with the elder son, the one who didn't squander his father's money but continued to work for it, continued to earn it. We judge the younger son as being foolish, selfish, and only having himself to blame. But when we begin to entertain different possibilities and different perspectives, the hard line between the older and the younger son, between us and them, begins to soften. 
I think this is the silver lining in our world of social media and global communication, that we are more poised than ever to hear the stories of others, to see things from different perspectives, to break down barriers. We've experienced this to some extent with the Black Lives Matter movement. In a recent podcast, Patrice Cullors, one of the co-founders of that movement, reflected on this role of social media, saying that it has allowed a whole generation to speak from their own perspective and to enter into real conversations with others who speak from their own perspectives too. For her, one of the most important outcomes has been non-black citizens and communities coming forward and saying, you know what, my community is deeply anti-black and I want to challenge that. Through the sharing of different perspectives, there have been openings for self-reflection, for discernment, and for transformation. The last few weeks, I've been talking about the gifts of Lent. The opportunity to listen, to allow ourselves to be drawn into conversations that transform us, that is one such gift of Lent. In Lent, like in any season of discernment, we slow down. An unhurried pace is almost always a prerequisite for wisdom. Or as my sister reminds me at times, slow down to the speed of wisdom. This is why we slow down in Lent. We take the time to intentionally explore the assumptions and systems that shape our thinking and our actions. We take the time to listen to others, not just on social media, but also face to face, maybe over coffee. We allow our hearts to open and seeds of transformation to take root in us. See, whether we see ourselves as the younger son or as the older son or as a combination of the two, we are, in our own ways, all lost. After all, both sons have squandered their inheritance in their own way by either walking away from it or by failing to recognize it. I wonder if the two sons ever talked after that day if they ever discovered in one another the same fear, the same hunger, the same incompleteness that each knew in his own soul. I wonder if the lines between them were ever blurred and the humanity they shared ever took center stage. I wonder if the two of them ever realized that even deeper than their common humanity was the excessive, foolish, spendthrift devotion of the father who loved them both who came out to meet each of them where they were. In a world of younger sons and older sons, of us and them, of red and blue, of immigrants and citizens, of the 1% and the 99% of blue and black and white and gold dresses, just imagine what it might look like to live that story of reconciliation. <laughs>